What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brennan and Dama back on the show, and we haven't talked in a while, but the Wizards are 17 and 32, and they are 2 and 6 in their last eight games since uh, there was a little stat that everyone had kind of looked at saying the Wizards had the second easiest schedule remaining in the NBA, but obviously there are some factors that are playing into why they've been struggling. They've been without Bradley Beal and Rui Hachimura, depending on who you talk to. I mean, that's their top two, top three, uh, two of their top three best players. So, uh, I mean, what do you make of where they're kind of at right now? And mainly, what do you think about them going two and six in their last eight? Uh, I mean, you know, it's been some, it's been some injuries, obviously, with Bill being out. Like, this is just not a, when Bill doesn't play, this is not a, this is not a NBA team. <laughs> uh, and definitely not when Bill and Rudy play. Like, it's just not a, it's just not an NBA team. Like, they, they just, they're already with everybody healthy. They're already probably at best a middling, slightly below 500 team. So when you take off two of the three best players on the team, like, I mean, you know, they're, they're a bottom five unit. So, you know, they, their record is what it is. It's kind of what I expected. Like I said, based on the guys that's on the floor um, and then who's coaching the team. So, you know, but I, I, it's not nothing new to take away from this recent stretch, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's just kind of the same old, same old with the Wizards. And right now they have the fifth worst record in the NBA. And we're going to get to that in a little bit because we're going to touch on some draft prospects. But um, the one guy I wanted to touch on um, was Denny Avdia because I think that we've seen him play better, obviously, is he gets the ball more in these recent games, getting some more opportunities naturally with um, two out of the three of their main ball handlers out of the lineup. So, I mean, what do you make of Denny? I mean, his three-point shot has been a little bit better. Um, I think the other night he went two of two on free throws, and they were solid free throws. It's not like they rattled around the rim and went in or anything. Um, I mean, he, he looks better. And again, I think that was kind of the thing with Denny. You know, he's He's a rhythm player. He's a guy who needs the ball to sort of get in his groove. And once he gets involved more than naturally, I think you'll start to see the shooting percentages go up. But, I mean, what do you think of Denny over this last little stretch of games? Yeah, he's been better. And I swear that that, that quote you just gave on his game, him being a rhythm player, you can copy and paste that for Troy Brown Jr. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're guys that need the ball. You know, they need their movement players. They got to cut. They got to you know, kind of make those uh, those uh, those reads without the ball. Um, and then that, when they see the ball going to hoop, that gives them confidence, that gives them rhythm. And then they start hitting some shots from the outside. Uh, and they kind of get more joy from making plays than they do from, you know, pounding the rock and scoring. So, yeah, like, if he's going to be in the right role, he could be a contributor. But if you're going to try to continue to make him – Trevor Ariza, like, that's not, he's just not going to look good. Like, again, if you were going to do that, you should have just took Sadiq Bey or Devin. Um, but, yeah, he's looked he's look much better. Um, 
I, I think, you know, some of it is kind of him just being a rookie, being a young guy new to the NBA. Um, Cause I, I, I see opportunities even when guys, even when Russ isn't pounding the rock away uh, and Bill is, you know, out where he can keep the ball and go with it, but he chooses not to. Um, so I think he'll, he'll learn and he'll, he'll get better. Um, but yeah, that, that shot has got to come. Like it has to otherwise. I don't know how much viability he has for the wizards um, because they need shooting. They just need shooting period point blank, especially if Russ is going to be your starting point guard. You just have to be able to shoot the ball. Yeah, and that's a good point you make there with Russ, and, and we'll kind of get into that more um, in a little bit because we're also going to get into some where we stand sort of with the rebuild or contending, and then also that obviously uh, with what personnel we have, what effect, what kind of prospects that we should be looking for in the draft. But one thing I wanted to mention with Denny as well, and this isn't really him, but the refs have been more lenient with his defense lately. I mean, there's been stuff that um, he hasn't really, and I don't even want to say gotten away with because I think he plays solid defense. I think he holds his ground really well, but the refs aren't being as rookie foul call happy, I guess, on him lately. And I think that's also helping him get into a rhythm because you can tell he gets, and he's got to work on this. And, and I think one of my only, um, one of my only knocks on him is that when he gets frustrated, it's very visible. And he's definitely yes. got to work on that. But um, I mean, it's got to be frustrating eventually when you continue to play solid defense and you eventually get foul calls. But uh, over this last stretch of games here, I mean, I would say that they've been pretty lenient with him and they've been kind of letting him play defense, which I think is helping the Wizards get out and fast break opportunities and get easy bus- easy buckets because they don't really have a lot of half court guys. I mean, they have Rui, who's I think is a half court player. Uh, they have Bradley Beal, who can obviously play both. And, I mean, I think Denny gives you a little bit in the half court. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, they don't really have any guys that really thrive in the half court, so they have to get out and run. And I think that um, them being more lenient with Denny on the defensive end is leading to more opportunities on offense. I mean, all things considered, he played against uh, Pascal Siakam the other night pretty damn well. And everyone has their opinion on Siakam. Um, but Siakam is one of the top offensive fours in the game. That There's no doubt about it for me. And I thought that all things considered, he held his ground really, really well. And when we talk about needing guys that play defense, when you have the sample sizes that we've seen with Denny and Rui against some of the top forwards in the game and even some of the mm-hmm. top guards, I mean, you have to be excited about their defensive potential, not only individually, but together going forward. Yeah, indeed. And I think him playing with Bertans being out, him playing more at the four, uh, with Bertans and Rui being out, uh, you know, at different instances, him playing more at the four, I think has helped him with some of those calls because Mm -hmm. I think he has a quickness advantage playing the four. Mm -hmm. So instead of him reacting uh, to where a wing player is going to be with the ball, he's kind of already there. Um, and so he's in better position to make a defensive play instead of fouling, you know, those frustration fouls, you know, you kind of get beat and then you just kind of nudge him or you, or he has this habit where, you know, he'll get, he'll get beat and then he'll kind of just throw his hips into a player. And it's like, the ref is going to call that every time. Um, you know, it's going to be a body foul 
every block foul every every single time. So I think him playing more four actually helps him because, like I said, it, it gives him an advantage, I think, on both the defensive and, and the offensive end with his quickness and kind of his IQ and feel for the game. So I actually would like to see more of that going forward and just kind of let him grow into that role playing strictly out at the three and on the wing. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I definitely agree that he has somewhat um, more of an advantage at the four. Like you said, I think he's quicker and I think it's easier for him to stay in front of guys that maybe don't have as quick a first step or as enhanced a, a shot creating ability that the guys at the right. three position will have. Um, but I mean, just overall right now with the wizards, I mean, how do you feel again? They're 17 and 32. They've lost two out of, or they've lost six out of their last eight. And there are some games and I know they've been banged up, but there are some games during the stretch that quite frankly, they just had no business losing. Um, that second Knicks game, I think they were up for the most part in that game. I mean, I could be wrong, um, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought they were up for most of the game, and then they choked it away at the end. Um, mm-hmm. th- the Pistons game, they had no business losing, um, and that Toronto game, they had no business losing. So you're talking about taking That's two cool. and six and making that, what, five and three? Right. And you'll take that. Uh, but but this is what we talk about. And bad basketball teams find ways to lose games. And it's just, I mean, injuries or not, these are games that the Wizards should still be expected to win when you have a Russell Westbrook still in your lineup. So, I mean, yeah. just overall in, in your outlook on where to go from here, I mean, just, I mean, what's your mood? I mean, those games you mentioned, I mean, you can, and, and really most of their losses, I mean, typically to me, they come down to fourth quarter execution. And for me, the, t- the, two, the two factors most responsible for your fourth quarter execution, in my opinion, are your head coach and your point guard. So when the Wizards kind of blow these games like this, those are the two people I look at first. Like, what is your head coach drawing up? Uh, what sets is he putting the team in to get certain guys the ball? And then how is your point guard executing those? Um, and for the Wizards, for the most part this year, it's been it's been bad, man. It's been bad. Like, they just don't, you know, they do something that's worked. They find something that works, and then in the fourth quarter, they go away from it. Um, you know, and or, yeah, yeah, like, or they find a lineup that works, and they and they go away from it in the fourth quarter because – player X is making X amount of dollars. And it's like, why? Like, the, the, the elite coaches don't do that. Like, they, right. they come into it with a game plan. And that game plan is based on mismatches and film work and say, hey, we can attack here, we can exploit this with said player, no matter how much money they make, you know? And right. then as the course of the game goes, things might change. The coach makes an adjustment at half. And then your coach comes back and makes a counter adjustment. And I just feel like the Wizards lack that. Um, and it affects them in fourth quarters, which is why they blow 20-point leads like it's nothing. Um, and they don't execute. Like that game, uh, you know, that game against the Raptors, I mean, they went into the fourth quarter with, a, I believe, a 19-point lead. Like, And they got that 19-point lead getting the ball to the only shooters on the team. Bertans and Matthews, and then in the fourth quarter, we go to Russell Westbrook, hero ball, you know, five out, 
ISO pick and roll early shot clock pull up jumpers that are basically turnovers because once once they bounce long the team got it they gone and then you know you're trying to stop fast breaks and what do you do when you're trying to stop fast breaks you foul so then you're putting the right. team on the line and then you're in the penalty and it you know then now you're all out of whack so you're not getting offense and then your defense is worse so it's just it's the same old same old really so the the one thing that you pointed out there was when when it comes down to fourth quarter execution, you're absolutely right on this. And it, I mean, I would go your main ball handler instead of point guard, but in this case, yeah, their main ball yeah. handler is their point guard. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so I, I wanted to talk about that Russell Westbrook quote from the other night when he's saying, "Well, we're not running around getting Matthews and Berton shots." As a future yeah. Hall of Famer, you would think that you would try and get those guys involved if you're so smart and if you're so talented. I mean, and he had some big plays at the end of that Toronto game and he had that three pointer and I get it, but for the most part, he was tanking away that fourth quarter. I mean, it was embarrassing from air ball, mid range jumpers. I mean, they were all contested. It it was, it was terrible. And and that quote just kind of stuck out to me. It's like, Really? Not you're not smart enough to realize that you need to get your shooters open. I think I thought part of the whole thing with getting Russell Westbrook over John Wall was gonna be IQ, was gonna be kind of being that on court coach. Why why aren't you setting up plays? Call a quick set to to run something for for Tons and Matthews. I mean, did Matthews even play that entire fourth quarter? I mean and and I know that's coaching. That's obviously not on Russ. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's see that's See, Russ can't determine who's out there. That's on that's on Brooks. But right. even still, no matter who's out there, you you have a point guard that just basically told you like, like he's the fourth quarter captain. Like, there's no like, we're not running sets for those guys. The, the play runs through me, and that's basically what I feel like he was saying. And I just sit there and I'm just kind of like, okay, would LeBron James say something like that? Would Chris Paul say something like that? Shoot, would Rajon Rondo say something like that? Like, I just think, right? you know, the more heady, savvy players in the game just wouldn't say something like that. And no. and every time somebody tries to tell me, you know, that Russ is an elite point guard, I just say, how? Like, I, I just I, right. I just don't see it, you know. I Like, he's a, he's a great player. I don't know about the point guard part. Like, I just, right. I just don't. He's a two that can't shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and it's like when you make comments like that, like, did, did you not see how Bertans and Matthews were shooting during that game? Like, it was insane. And, and the Wizards are truly at their best when both of them are hitting their shots. I mean, they're downright unbeatable in terms of, I mean, at least their offense. I know that their defense may give up some buckets. And I mean, clearly they did. Um, during that Toronto game. But, I mean, when Matthews and Bertans are are both made a priority and they're both getting their shots and they're both hitting, it makes it so much easier for guys like Rui, guys like Russ, guys like Brad. But they refuse to continuously get those guys involved. And it was funny because when I was on the the Grizzlies podcast um, with Parker Fleming when we were recapping the one game and he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, I think the general consensus with you guys is that you – don't want Bertans to get the ball as much. And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, it's the complete opposite. We want guys like Bertans <laughs> and Matthews to get the ball more because we're tired yeah. of just seeing Russ and Beal 
pound, 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 contested mid-range shot at the end of the shot clock. So um, they definitely just need to figure out a way to get those two more involved going forward. And I don't mean necessarily for this year, because obviously I don't think that's a change that we're realistically going to see. But going into next year, should both of them be back? And I don't care who the point guard is. I don't care if Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are here or not. They need to be made a priority because they're your two best shooters and they need to do what they're paid to do. Go out there and shoot the ball. It's okay if you sacrifice a few possessions um, from Beal, from from Russ, from Denny, from Rui, or whoever, to get those guys some more looks from beyond the arc. Because when you talk about last year and how they had one of the top offenses. That was because you were getting Bertans and Matthews three point shots. So, yeah, well, well, mostly, mostly Bertans. Matthews didn't right. play much last year, but yeah, right. you got. I mean, their their offense when Beal and Bertans were on the floor last year was like one of the best offensive ratings in history. So right. you would think going into this year that that would have been a priority. Like, hey, we got to get Brad and uh, Bertans at least seven, eight, three-point attempts a piece a game. Like, that should be, you know, item A on the top of your, you know, game plan for going into the year. Um, It's just, like, when you look at Berton's, like, win-loss splits, like, there's no player that has a bigger variance in, you know, their numbers based on whether we win or lose. Like, Beal... He gets his numbers whether we win or lose. Like his percentages and all of that, they're exactly the same. Uh, Russ, even actually, I think Russ numbers are better when we lose than when we win. This <laughs> is which is so crazy. Not um, a coincidence, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, like so, we're winning in spite of his bad numbers. But, uh, but when you look at Berton's numbers, his win loss numbers, man, like. When we're when we win games with him on the floor, it's because he has like you know a seventy percent true shooting percentage, and like you know it, it's just ridiculous. When we lose, he shoots bad or he doesn't shoot at all, um, and you know that should tell you. I mean, I know these guys see these numbers like, and it's just like it's like they don't care. They go they do the same old same old, so they get the same old result. Yeah. Um... One quick play I wanted to touch on personnel-wise before we get into some bigger picture stuff here. Uh, I just kind of wanted to talk on um, the two new arrivals. Now, Daniel Gafford, I thought, has played really well. He played really well in the two games he was available. He's been out for a while with a sprained ankle, and hopefully I think he'll be back soon, actually. Um, So I'm very excited to see him finish out the season. But I guess the, the bigger part of this is going to be Chandler Hutchinson because we've seen more of a sample size from him. Um, but I mean, he's, uh, I'm trying to be nice, man. Um, <laughs> he's going to be on the roster next year because they're not going to find a way to move him, but he is, he should be in, in case of emergency player. And that's what I'll kind of say for Chandler Hutchinson. I mean, what, what do you think about both of them so far? Uh, I like Gafford a lot. I think he's a perfect complement to Thomas Bryant's skill set. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of talking about this earlier. As far we was we was kind of I was having a debate with somebody about like who are the best centers in the league and kind of where Thomas Bryant fits and all of that. Um, and I was just kind of like making the point that you know if you're not gonna have one of the elite top eight centers in the league, like I think it's best to go center by committee 
where you have two guys that are good and they kind of complement each other. They have complementary skill sets. And I think, you know, and they're on good contracts. And I think that's kind of the route we're going, having Thomas Bryan and Gafford, assuming they're both healthy coming into next year. Um, so I like Gafford a lot. I think he he's a perfect complement to what Bryant does. Hutchinson, to me, is just a cheap body. And I just think he's the Bonga replacement. Because is Bonga, is Bonga on the contract next year? I believe he is a restricted free agent this summer. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know that they yeah. get a priority a, back. His qualifying offer is a little bit over two mil, I think. Hmm. Okay. Um I'm just looking at it. Yeah, I, I just think Hutch is just he's a he's a uh you know, he's he's basically taking bonkers. I don't really see him as a guy that is a backup or starter at the small forward spot. Like he's like a third string small forward. Um, and they need cheap bodies. They don't have any cap space. So they need cheap guys. And maybe once, once every 25 games, maybe he has a good day, <laughs> you know, yep. that's kind of where I see him. And it sucks because I think I'd rather have Bonga than Hutchison. Um, but, I mean, realistically, Hutchinson is going to be the the one that's back on the roster next season. Um, but I mean, he really hopefully won't play a whole lot. But I mean, because again, if they go into like next year with Denny as their starter and then Hutchinson as the backup, that's going to be a problem for me. Um, I, I mean, if they want to have Denny as a starter, then that's totally fine with me. I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, I think that should happen unless they can seriously make an upgrade there. But you can't have Hutchison as his backup because now you have two two guys at the three that can't really shoot the ball entirely. I mean, Chandler Hutchison had, I think, what, two air balls the other night from three? Yeah. Yeah, yeah not pretty. Um, but I definitely agree with you on Gafford. I mean, I think long-term as well, I think he's the type of guy, like if he plays really well next year, could be making like Jared Allen money. I think he's that – and like Mitchell Robinson tier. I think he could be that kind of guy where – um, you know, the, there really isn't much expectation, but the things that he does, he does them so well. And, and it's like the little things, you know, that they do. And I mean, I think that there's a chance next year that, um, I mean, hell, I mean, eventually they could roll with Gafford in the starting lineup over Brian. I, I don't, I don't think that they're too incredibly far in terms of overall talent, because I think, like you said, they do two completely different things, but it's all about fit. I think at the center position for me. And I think that's one thing that we've noticed throughout this season too, because Lopez has talent, Len has talent. Um, but again, it's all about fit and what's going to work best with, with your other personnel, considering that the center isn't going to have the ball a whole lot. Now, when you have a guy like Embiid or Jokic, guys that can kind of be point centers in a sense, um, obviously your personnel goes around them. But when you have a Bradley Beal or Rui Hachimura, you need a center that's best going to complement them. So, um, but I, I think Gafford has a spot here long term if he can stay healthy. For sure. For sure. Um, I guess just more kind of big picture um, Russ and Beal trade, keep, uh, contender, rebuild. I mean, where do you stand with that? I mean, I think we know what they're going to do. I don't think that there's much debating over that, but would you lean one way or another right now? I mean, yeah. I mean, we know what they're going to do. I mean, I'm kind of still on the fence with the whole trade bill thing. I just think you just never get proper value for a top 50 player. Like, I just never do. 
um, you always end up with, you know, nickels on the dollar. And, you know, like if you, I mean, again, if somebody could show me a trade where a top 15 guy gets traded and it worked out for that team, point me in that direction. Uh, I just haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Usually that team, the best pick you get is the pick you would have got anyway by keeping the player. Like, so, like, look, I mean, in the Wizards case right now, like, the best pick they're going to get is the their own pick right now, and that's with Beal on the roster. So if you trade him, what exactly are you getting back? Like, what's the centerpiece of a, of a Beal trade? Now, Russ, I feel like if you can find somebody that'll give you a first-round pick for him, you do it. Um, no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. To try to get off of that money and give you some flexibility, right? To get Bradley Beal, another Bradley Beal next to him, you know. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just think you know, you're trading a top fifteen player for a bunch of uh, wishes and prayers, and hoping that one of those players turns into Bradley Beal that you then have to add talent around like you do now. So it's like, what exactly are you doing other than just kind of resetting the clock? I think that it'll be easier to kind of make that decision once we know where we're going to be picking because if we're going to get the first or second overall pick and you know that we're going to be able to come away with either Jalen Suggs or Cade Cunningham, I mean, it makes it easier for you to make that rebuild call and you know whatever you get for Beal, you get for him because, I mean, and I agree that you're not going to get a significant piece if you do move him. But, I mean, if you think about it from another team's perspective, you know, you're not going to want to trade the good players that you already have because the idea is you're going to add Beal to what you already have um, as your core roster. So, um but I think that if you can get Kate Cunningham, for example, I, I think I'm I'm totally okay with moving him for I mean basically whatever. I mean, of course you want the the proper draft compensation. Um, you know, you want three first round picks minimum. I think it, obviously it depends on the team. I think that if the the Minnesota pick were able to default to four this year or something, and the Wizards had two top five picks, I mean, I think that's extremely valuable. And, um, you know, and and ideally in that deal, you would also be getting back James Wiseman, who is a number two overall pick. So, I mean, you're talking about in the span of three years getting, what, five top ten picks. I mean, that's that's extremely valuable to have. I mean, I I think, like, would you rather Kate – I'm really, really high on Kate. Like, I I think Kate is is like a – franchise pillar player right and i, I think, think so. it's been his two years in the league i think he's going to be one of the best at his position right mm-hmm. why would you want him to play with bradley bill what why would or would not yeah why wouldn't you want him to oh, play what? with bradley bill because i, I, mean, I just, feel like day one and definitely by like year two he's gonna be in my opinion, a player that's flirting flirting with all-star consideration. So, so I, I think for me, it's just about like the number of guys that need the basketball in order to be effective. I think that if you get the number one overall pick, you can solidify yourself as a team like, okay, well, you know, we can go ahead and rebuild, but it doesn't have to last too terribly long. I think that um, Rui, Denny, and Cade, 
and your role players like Gafford and Bryant and all that are enough to where you can say, okay, in three years or so, we should expect to be competing again for the playoffs. And that doesn't mean that you'll be a five or a six seed or anything, but, but certainly you would expect after natural development that that team would be skilled enough and talented enough to um, be competing for a playoff spot. I just think that there's too many guys that need the ball. It's not like Rui is just a guy. Yeah, who's I, I like get that within, and, I get that in the in the standpoint of like Russ being here, but I'm saying I'm saying so okay, you get you get say you get Cade, it works out perfectly, you get the number one pick, you get Cade. My my thought on it is okay, you build around Cade, you move Bill to build around Cade, but then you're trying to find another player of Cade's caliber to play with him. But you traded away the player that was of his caliber. So like I mean, <laughs> you, do you I'm, see what I'm saying? <laughs> I do, but I'm totally fine with Rui being the second option in that case, and then Denny being kind of the third or fourth, depending on how you view Thomas Bryant. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I, I I like Rui. I don't I don't think Rui is that of that caliber of player. Like, you know, I I love Rui. I defend Rui uh, amongst most of the haters on here, but I don't think Rui is a future top fifteen player in the league. I mean, who knows, though? But, but that's the thing is he, he won't really get that opportunity, and it sucks that he's injured right now because I, I think that he would be the number one option in the offense. Um, I, I think that they've done a really good job of making him more of a priority lately, and I mean, his numbers show that. But, I mean, if Rui can work out his three-point percentage, and it's been pretty good lately, but if he can do that consistently for a season and we already see the defensive ability and potential that he has, and he's already pretty much a mid-range god, and he's gotten better under the rim. Why? I mean, why can't he be the number one option in your offense next year? If you decide that you want to trade Brad and Russ, I mean, even if you can't get Cade, you can get Jalen Suggs. I mean, I'm still fine with Rui getting that experience and kind of being that number one guy in the offense. That, I mean, I'm okay with that. I just don't see that with his game. Like, I, I, I see, you know, at his peak, I see him being kind of like a Tobias Harris, but, you know, better defensively. Um, I just don't see that as a guy that's a number one option offensively. Like I, I just don't see that. Like Cade to me is has number one option ability. Uh, obviously, Bill can be a number one option. You lead the league in scoring, um, and I mm-hmm. think Rudy slides right in there perfectly as your third guy. Um, it's just that when you think about the team in the in the in the context with Russ being here, with how much he needs the ball. That's where it's like, okay, well, you just need to blow it up. But I'm kind of looking at it like, well, if you get K, that's even more incentive to get off of the Russ contract. And I feel like K, Bill, Rui, as your top three guys, is better than any other three-man combo that you didn't had in the Wizards, Wizards era, period. Yeah. Like, since, since I've been watching them, like, if we're just talking about, like, fit and, and just talent, I think that three can can match up against any three the Wizards have had, you know, since the since Chris Webber was here. So, you know, that's what I would be trying to do if if they got that lucky. But like, if you get Cade and then you trade off Beal, and then obviously you meet, that means you're trading off Russ, and you're trying to force Rui into an elevated role. I don't know that he's that player. And then, and then you're kind of searching, you know, 
then you're kind of searching to add that player, either free agency or getting another draft pick. And it's just kind of like, well, you already had that player. You should have just kept him. Right. Um, that's just that's just my feeling on it. Um, I feel like if they can get off Russ, you do that for you sure. Have you, you have, have to. You have to. You have to. But it Bill, to me, he's still only 27. Like, he still has six, seven years of high-level basketball in front of him. And I feel like K is going to be that dude by year three. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you can get K, man, like, yeah. K, Bill, Rui with a real coach, I think could make something happen. But that's just me. Yeah, no, I I think so, too. I totally agree with that. I think that that totally makes sense. I, I think with Russ, I mean, they, they have to try to find a way to get off of him. This summer, regardless, I mean, it just has to happen. Um, I don't know what teams are seriously going to be interested. I mean, I know that the the Clippers have constantly been a team that sort of comes up and that, you know, that, well, they could be interested. And um, I I know that you were saying, you know, they they chose Rondo, but Rondo is not going to be that expensive next year if they wanted to try and move him again or um, if they wanted to just have Rondo as the backup because Patrick Beverly is – I think making over or he's about thirteen million right now. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Like I, I think man, it's 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 tough with that because I just feel like the teams that would have been interested in in Russ, I think if they were gonna make that move for him, they would have did it already. Um Yeah, I just feel like now, now that we had got him and he's losing here and he's having one of his statistically one of his worst seasons, I just think it's going to be hard for another team to kind of justify bringing him in at that number. And that number only increases. <laughs> it's not, you know, it would be one thing if he had, if that number was de-escalating, but it, it it's increasing. So uh, over the next two years, so it's just... Yeah, it's tough, man. I, I just don't see it. Like, I really thought maybe the Bulls would do it because I knew they needed a point guard. And then well, and I they still could. Maybe... Yeah, but they iron, they iron Lonzo Ball, which is smart. Um, yeah. So they're probably going to be his number one suitor, him and the, them and the Knicks come this free agency, and they're going to be willing to pay, pay Lonzo 20-plus million versus trading assets for – Forty-one million dollar, thirty-three-year-old Russell Westbrook. I mean, my only hope in terms of like when you were saying that they, if they were going to move him, he would have already been moved. I'm just hoping that they're just that's just Ted and Tommy's patience, and just being like, okay, well, let's just give this a full season, and if we get callers in the off season, then we'll make a move. Um, because. I mean, also, if you're trading for Russ, I mean, what realistically are you giving up? As long as you can take in the salary, it's not a problem. So I don't think that the Wizards are in any position really to be like, okay, yeah, we want Russ, but we're really only going to give you two role players and maybe a second round pick. I mean, that's fine with me. I'm if I'm Tommy, I'm like, okay, no, 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 don't hang up, don't hang up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, let me let me ask you this: Do you think in them making the Russ trade, do you think it was like a shrewd? I guess I'm trying to trying to positive picture this and kind of give them some type of credit possibly. But do you think it was a panic move? Like, okay, 
we're done with Wall. That video came out. We're trading him. You know, Russ is the best player we'll be able to get. Let's just get him. Or do you think it was kind of like, you know, Russ is still a good player. If we're looking at value over the next two, three years of their contracts that are both paying $40 million, we feel like we could move Russ to get better assets back than we would having Wall and trying to move him coming off of an Achilles. Uh, I think it was something where over time, um, I think the relationship with Ted and Wall just kind of got sour. And um, I I think that John probably took offense, and rightfully so, when Tommy kind of took over the team and said, no, this is Beal's team. I I think that, and rightfully so, that John would be upset with that. And I think just from that point on, they were just kind of like, okay, well, I mean, we're just going to move him. And I think that they sincerely tried to get the best player available without having to give up assets to move Wall's contract because, I mean, we talk about Russ's contract, but Wall's contract is, you know, just as bad, maybe a tad bit better. Um, so yeah. I think that it was yeah. it was genuinely a move that they thought was going to help them long-term, and it's just it just hasn't panned out that way, and it's funny because, I mean, all the time, it's like, with a lot of guys, it's not about overall talent. It's, it's truly about finding guys that just fit your timeline that fit with the personnel that you have on the roster. I mean, John Wall coming in here is not going to be Russell Westbrook dribbling out the shot clock and taking contested middies. John's going to be in more of a structured offense. You know damn well he's going to be finding Bertans more in transition. There are times when Russ is in transition and just does not find Bertans or Matthews. I'm like, guys, he's wide the hell open. Um, yeah. and, and John's not missing that. And especially with Rui and Denny guys that need the ball, you know, John's going to be okay with giving them a little bit more touch, especially if they can hoop because John's always been like, I want more help. I don't want to have to do everything, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, I, I just think, um, yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. I was, I was hoping maybe, you know, they would look at it in the standpoint of, you know, it's on value. Who who has more cachet, more value two years from now as a player where we can get more back for mm-hmm. them, you know? And, then, you know, because they spoke about, you know, Ted with his little durable tweet, you know, about Russ being durable. Like, it's like, okay, we feel like Russ is a better player and if not at the least more durable. So he'll have more value. Maybe not now, but maybe a year or two from now, where mm-hmm. if we needed to move off of him, we'll get more back than trying to move off of a John Wall. Um, right. But I, I don't. I don't. It sounds like that. I don't even know that they were thinking that deep on it. Like it was just kind of like, like you say, this, the relationship soured. They had to get the best player for him in a contract that matched, and it was Russ. So they just did the deal to just get him out of here. So uh, here we are. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So getting away from sort of the the Russ and Beal trade stuff, I, my consensus is you move both and you rebuild. I, I I'm just I'm done at this point. I'm I'm just I'm tired. I, I'm okay with being bad for a few years while you try and figure it out. Establish a new culture with a new coach. Hopefully, a new decision maker up top. Not that I think Tommy is terrible. I think Tommy is just sort of a casualty when you go through that sort of thing. 
Um, and again, I mean, if you want to keep him in the organization, I, I'm totally okay with that. In fact, I don't think Tommy should lose his job. If you want to bring in someone else as a different title and just have him be the the main decision maker with the roster, I'm fine with that. But I mean, in terms of Tommy's drafting so far, I mean, you, you have to be impressed. I don't think it's worth just completely firing him over. I think that if his, um, if we had Rui and then like if the Denny pick was completely a dud or we had drafted someone else who just completely sucked, I mean, yeah, I mean, you probably go ahead and move Tommy then because I think his free agency has been not good. Um, but anyway, just kind of moving on here and talking more about the draft right now, the Wizards have the fifth best odds of landing number one overall pick. The teams in front of them, Right now we're Minnesota, uh, Houston, who else am I missing? Orlando, and there's one more. Cleveland, right? Or are we ahead of Cleveland? Uh, oh, Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. Yeah. So, I mean, do, do you see a situation in which we can pass any more of these teams? I would have liked to think that we could get ahead of Orlando, but I think that Orlando has a worse roster than even we do, so... The only hope that I would have there is coaching. And actually, we play Orlando tonight. So, I mean, I think losing that game would put us below them. Um, but, I mean, do, do you see us passing any of these other teams to get higher positioning? Or do you kind of think that this is just kind of where we'll be? Uh, I think I think at the highest, we, we probably can get to four, maybe. I just think the teams in front of us are just really, really bad. Like, I mean, really, really bad, which is crazy because Houston started off looking so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did the Cavs. And shoot, yeah. so did the Magic. I remember all of the, all three of them at one point were like, you know, top five in the conference. And then, boom, it was just like, they just started losing and losing and injuries and then cutting players to help them. And like, it was just weird. Uh, so yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to get into like the top three. I just don't, I don't see that happening. What I'm hoping is that the lottery guys look out and, you know, them balls fall where they need to fall. And somehow we maybe go from fourth to one, (laughs) you know, something like that. Uh, I mean, how many number one overall picks does Minnesota need? I mean, really? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like them in Cleveland. I mean, they done had so yeah. many the last few years. Like, it's crazy, man. They they should they should have multiple titles by now if it was <laughs> if it was truly number one picks win you titles. You know, yeah. they should have they should have multiple. Wiggins, Bennett, man, Kyrie, Kyrie, Carl Anthony Towns, Edwards. Like, <laughs> they done had so many number one picks. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need some help from the lottery gods out there because I, I got to tell you, we 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 need a top talent. And if we get like if the number one pick helps us jumpstart the rebuild, then I'm all for it. Um, now let me ask you this: Say yeah. we rebuild, say we decide to trade both. Um, you agree that Cade Cunningham? You and I both agree that he's probably the guy that you want to take. If if you're sold on rebuilding around, like let's say just X player that you draft with the number one pick, Denny Rui. Um, you and I both agree that Kate is the guy. Now, let's say they decide to keep both Russ and Brad. Who are you taking if we get number one? Are you still taking Kate? I'm taking Kate no matter what. Like, okay. just because, like I said, I feel like he's a transcendent 
pillar player. Like I feel like he's I feel like he's Jason Tatum with point guard skills. Mm-hmm. Like like his ability to get to that pull up game and his off the dribble ability to just kind of just shoot over you. I mean, he's got every score move in the book for a guy his size. Similar mm-hmm. to what Tatum had coming out. Like they the like they got everything. Uh, fadeaways, step backs, pull ups, they got it all. Um, yeah. but he can play point guard. So right. it's like it's like it's a whole nother level. So like whatever you feel about Tatum, like imagine Tatum with passing ability. Like that's what I feel like Cade is. And I think exactly what you see him do at Oklahoma State, you know, minus the turnovers, because his turnovers was really high. And I think because of the players he had on his team that weren't really shooters, his assist numbers weren't as high as what they should have been. Um, but he'll have shooters in the NBA. He'll have guys that'll be able to make shots for him. And I feel like he'll be able to step right in and play that exact same game where he's got the ball and he's playing like kind of like a Luka type, you know, uh, role where he's orchestrating everything. Um, And I feel like that fits whether Beal is here or not. Uh, And so he would be my pick regardless of what they decide to do with Beal, Russ, and everybody else. Um, now if you're talking just straight, like, okay, Russ being here and we're plugging in like a position of need, I still don't think they have, uh, a starting caliber small forward on this team. Um, so maybe that's where Cade slides in though. Cause maybe you just put Cade at the three and then just have, cause there's no way you're, you're keeping Cade on the bench. Sorry. I'm, I'm not doing it. Hell no. Have that and have Denny as your sixth man, which is maybe a more ideal role for him anyway. Yeah, like it would I mean, if you could get, you know, if you could somehow get off Bertans and get a legitimate three and D guy for him, uh, you know, and then Denny is like your backup four behind Rui or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think I think their biggest need is that starting small forward spot. Like, they don't have a legitimate starter at that spot. Um, So, but I don't know that the answer to that is like a Kamunga. Like, I just, his shooting is just so bad. I I don't think he's the answer as a starting small forward for them um, going into next year. I think they're going to have to find that with the full mid-level exception they have this coming summer. Um, and I don't know who that player is, but I think that's got to be the top of their list to bring in somebody that can play that that small forward spot. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm taking like I said, I take K regardless. But if you're talking like plug and play fit, it would probably be Mobley. Okay, maybe because I think Mobley is a center. You, it's Thomas Bryant coming off ACL like such a guarantee to have his spot. Like, I don't know. Like, is he so talented that you can't upgrade from him? No. So maybe I would say Mobley, just if you're just thinking in terms of like direct fit, you know, assuming you're keeping Russ, Bill, Rui in the spots that they're in, then you plug in Mobley there. Uh, I agree that he's a nice plug and play guy, but I mean, you know how I feel about Thomas Bryan. I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan. I've been a huge fan ever since um, we got him back in, what, 2018. So, um, 
I mean, I, I just really like him, and I think he deserves a chance to go in as the starter again. I mean, considering with who else is on the roster. Now, the one thing I didn't like with Thomas Bryant is when Tommy just straight up told people this summer that you weren't going to have a chance to start over him. I, I think that that was not a good look, considering he's only making like $8 million. I, I think that was a bad look. Because um, you're not really paying Thomas Bryant like a starting center. but And that's also one thing, I mean, in terms of the financial aspect is Thomas Bryant and Daniel Gafford are not expensive at all. I think combined they're only going to be making about a tad over 10 mil next year. 10 mil. Which is pretty that's, damn that's good. Beautiful. That's beautiful, so, man. 10 mil for two good centers that complement each other. I think that's, like I said, if you can't have one of the top tier one centers, I think that's the way to do it. Center by committee. Yeah. On cheap money. Yeah. I mean, because if, ha- if we bring back those two and then say we just bring back Alex Lynn or something like that, I'm totally fine with that. Th- that's perfect for me. I- I'm not yeah. complaining. You yeah, know? I'm, I'm fine with that too. The issue is <laughs> 41 million sitting at the top. Oh, that's the issue. That's you know, you got it. If we could reallocate that to like a Jeremy Grant and a shooter, <laughs> yes, this team would be so much better. But it's just like... You know, it is what it is. Hey guys, Brendan here. Um, I wanted to go ahead and thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Wizards Gallery Place podcast. Um, we did have some audio issues, unfortunately, and it kind of cut off the last little part of our conversation. You didn't miss much. We just kind of talked about um prospects outside of the top five, but we will have more episodes coming in the future where we get into. Uh, draft prospects specifically but um, I wanted to thank you guys once again for tuning in and we will see you next time